Hi, my name is Stuart and I'm delighted to welcome you to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse for our time of worship together. We're glad that you've chosen to join us wherever you are. In these difficult times, it's great that we can join together in different ways to listen to the words of Jesus, to pray for ourselves, for each other and for our world, and to learn together. If you find value in our time together, then please let us know by liking, sharing and subscribing. You could even leave a comment if you want. We're working our way through Matthew's story of Jesus. And today we find Jesus in Jerusalem, in the temple. It's Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? If we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Things have moved on pretty quickly by the time we joined Jesus in Jerusalem. What we call Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds cheer and shout, has already happened. But things turn pretty tense almost immediately because Jesus goes to the temple the very centre of religious life. And the first thing he does when he gets there is literally overturn what's been going on. The temple courtyards have become a marketplace where pilgrims could buy a dove to sacrifice so that they didn't have to bring one with them. The temple also had its own money, so there were money changers. And the traders all took a profit. The temple had become a moneymaker taking advantage of pilgrims who were required to go there, required to present an offering and required to pay temple tax using temple money. Jesus goes on what can only be described as a rampage. He drives out the stallholders and the money changers and he throws over their tables. Then the blind and the lame came. They came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? And all of this sets up their next encounter. Jesus had gone back to Bethany for the night, and he comes back to the city, back to the temple the next day where the leaders are waiting for him. 
Remember how in Matthew's Gospel the location of events is almost always really important. The place that things happen, the place that these things happen, couldn't be more important. The temple has huge significance for the people of Israel. It still does. The Western Wall is all that remains of it. But it's the most holy site for Jews who still go there to pray. The temple was the centre of life. It was a religious state. And so the central place of religion was also the centre of political power. The chief priests and the council of elders still had a huge amount of authority, even though Israel was occupied by the Romans. Because the religious leaders had done a deal with the Romans. The Romans were pretty smart. They knew that the best way to keep the people compliant was to allow life to continue as close to normal as you could tolerate. There would be some things that would change, some new taxes to pay, but the most effective way to get people to do what they are told is to, well, outsource the enforcement to the local authorities. And that was especially true if the local authorities were religious leaders. I mean, who's going to argue with God? So the chief priests and religious leaders know where their authority comes from. It comes from God and it comes from the Romans. And that's a pretty powerful combination. But the religious leaders have to walk a very precarious line. They don't want to upset the people, but they also don't want to upset the Romans. So when Jesus enters their patch, their centre of power, and starts radically changing things, throwing about the traders and moneylenders and healing the blind and the lame, they start to question his authority. Specifically, where does Jesus' authority come from? Where does he get the nerve to come here to our place and to upset everything? So they ask straight out, where does your authority come from? It's a trap. Jesus' authority comes from God. But if he says that, they'll charge him with blasphemy. That's a crime that carries the death penalty. We'll see again and again in the run-up to the end that Jesus avoids answering this question directly. Here, he asks them a question. A question about John the Baptist. Where did John's authority come from? It's his own trap. You answer this and I'll answer your question. If they say that God is where his authority comes from, then they're guilty of ignoring John's warnings to change. If you say that his authority wasn't from God, then the people who saw John as a prophet will turn against him. And they can't risk that either. Political authority comes from consent, the consent of the people being governed. And they wouldn't do anything to put their position at risk. So they answer with a politician's answer. We don't know. But the refusal to answer gives Jesus an out. Well, if you don't answer, why should I? But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He's here to put things right. So he tells his own story. The story of a man who owns a vineyard and has two sons. He tells the first one to go work in the vineyard and the son says no. But eventually changes his mind. The second son says he will go, but never does. Jesus' question to them is piercing. Which of the two sons did what the father asked? Right there in front of everyone, Jesus is calling them out for their hypocrisy. He's asking their question back at them, but in a way that they can't wriggle out of. They are the chief priests, the elders of the people. They're the ones who should be doing everything that God asks of them. They're the ones who should be fulfilling their responsibilities fairly. They know what they've been asked to do, and so does everyone else. Leadership's never easy. 
That's true in normal circumstances, but even more so in times of crisis and difficulty when people are fearful and unsure of what to do. We see that in our own time. And the people who lived when Jesus did were just the same. They didn't have a pandemic, instead they had an occupation. I suppose, at least I hope, that what people look for most in a leader at times such as these is honesty and integrity. We don't like it when our leaders say one thing and do another. And you can almost hear the sharp intake of breath when Jesus asks this question. Everyone knows that the leadership is corrupt, but nobody would dare say it. The power these people wield is just too great. If you criticise them, you're criticising God because they've been appointed by God and it's pretty hard to argue with that kind of logic. But now they're stuck. You could fudge what you thought about John the Baptist, but they can't get out of this. They know who they are and they know what they are. But then, so do we. Jesus' problem with them isn't that they were in charge. His problem is that they knew John was right. They knew, just like everyone else knew. But the people changed. The ones that they'd looked down on, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the immoral and the criminal, they changed. And these religious leaders were so caught up in their own self-importance that they couldn't change. They knew what they were doing and they couldn't stop. But this isn't an assault on hypocritical leaders as, as much as we might enjoy picturing our least favourite one of them up there in the firing line. Jesus catapults us into this conversation too. Which one of the two sons am I? Which one are you? The one who says no but changes his mind and does the right thing? Or the one who says he will but doesn't? The parable's not just a question of integrity, it's a question about the law. Honour your father and mother is one of the commandments. And both sons break that commandment. So the question is about what comes next. Is there a time for redemption? Time to realise and to change your ways? Time to put things right? And the good news is yes, yes there is. The not so good news is that when we ignore those opportunities... The chances to do the right thing, to change, to be better, we harm ourselves, we harm our loved ones, we harm our community and we know it. How many times, just like those leaders, the leaders that Jesus confronts, do we turn away and just keep on justifying our behaviour, keep on repeating our mistakes and compounding our wrongdoing? God stands there with wide open arms, willing us to turn around, willing us to change, willing us to realise and to run towards him. Because the truth is, authority is what we make it. And our response to the divine within the human, and our response of love amongst the hateful, our response of compassion amongst the needful, our response to Jesus leading. We have a choice. We all have a choice. We know who we are and we know what we do and there's always time to make things right. Jesus, name above all names. In the fullness of time you emptied yourself, becoming weak in power 
to be strong in love. Still, fear and trembling fill our days and our faith. Please help us to shift from fear to awe. Move us from trembling to transformation, that we might not confuse the love of infinite power for the power of infinite love. So we pray for those in places of privilege and power, that empty words and empty promises might be replaced with the fullness of justice and the honesty of humility. We pray for those under the thumb of privilege and power, for voices silenced, breaths oppressed, lives destroyed. Bend our knees that we might uplift all those long held down, all those long ignored, all those bound by powers and principalities into shapes that seek to hide your image shining within them. Encourage us to be of that same mind, of that same spirit, of that unity in Christ that first wound the world with the cords of your grace. Hear us, Lord, as we pray together in your words, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. true.
you are one of God's beloved. As we step out of our time together and into the world we live in, may our words and actions be testimony to God, God who loves us beyond measure. We who are treasured by God, inspired by Jesus and led by the Holy Spirit each day and every day of our lives. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you.